Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Exclusive. This is the podcast exclusively for Patreon subscribers of the Islamic History Podcast. And in this series, we are covering the Sira or the life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we are now on Sira episode number 39. It's been a couple of weeks since the last episode, so let's do a brief recap of where we are in the Prophet's life. So there were rumors floating around Medina that the Byzantines were preparing to invade uh, some of the Muslim lands in northern Arabia. And so the prophet began extensive preparations to meet the Romans, who were really the Byzantines. No, we call them we call them the Byzantines now. They were really the Romans. But anyway, the prophet began extensive preparations to do battle with the Byzantines. And because of the strength of the enemy that the Muslims expected to face, as well as the distance of travel, he ordered everyone within Medina to contribute to the war effort. In other words, all able-bodied men were expected to participate. However, there were several hypocrites who made up various excuses not to join, as well as a few well-meaning Muslims who intended to help the prophet and intended to participate in the battle but they kept procrastinating and waiting and not getting in uh not getting whatever they needed together for this long journey and by the time they um were ready to join the prophet had already left and so they were left behind also there was a new masjid uh, that had recently been built in medina it would later be called Masjid al-Dadir, or the Masjid of Descent, and this was built by members of Banu Ghanam, who were primarily hypocrites. And finally, uh, the Prophet ﷺ left Ali ibn Abi Talib behind to watch over his property and his family. And so the Prophet and his army, they've set out, and they're on the way to Tabuk, which is in northern Arabia. And we're going to discuss some of, uh, some of the interesting stories that took place during this journey. First, there were the ruins of Thamud. The Prophet's army, they traveled through a region known as Al-Hijr. And within this region, the ruins of Thamud were located. And just as a uh, in case you didn't know who Thamud were, I'm sure most people listening to this would know. But anyway, the Thamud were a a people whom Allah sent a prophet named Prophet Saleh, and Prophet Saleh preached to his people to worship Allah. However, they refused, and they were ultimately destroyed by Allah as a punishment. And uh, this place is also known as Madain Saleh, or the place of Saleh, and it is still in Arabia now, easy to find on Google Maps or uh, Google Earth if you decide to do so. But anyway, continue, continue going with the story as far as the Prophet is concerned, Prophet Muhammad, that is. There were several wells in this area. And of course, you have people traveling through a desert. Once you get to a bunch of some wells where there may potentially be water, of course, people would want to drink from it. But the Prophet, he ordered the Muslims not to drink from those wells. And he also told them not to make wudu with the water from these wells. And he also told them that if they had used the water from those wells to make dough, then they should not eat the dough, but instead feed it to their camels. And for the most part, that's what the people did. However, there were two men from Banu Khazraj who did drink from the well, and they did so after the Prophet's warning. 
One of these men who be, who drank from the well, he immediately began choking, and the other man who drank from the well was blown away by the wind, blown, I guess, several hundred yards away. Anyway, for both men, the Prophet wasallam, he prayed for them, and they both recovered. The next morning, however, the people were complaining because they didn't have any water, and they had missed out on the opportunity to get water, and so they were complaining to their Prophet. The Prophet wasallam, he then prayed for rain, and not too long after that, the skies opened up, and it began pouring rain. So the next story that happened on this journey to Tabuk is a story of Zayd ibn Lusayb. Zayd ibn Lusayb was a hypocrite, but he had decided to join the expedition for whatever reason. During the journey, he was staying in the camp of a righteous companion named Umara ibn Hazm. Now during this period, during this journey, while the Prophet and the army was traveling, the Prophet's camel wandered away and so the army had to stop for a while while everyone went in search of the prophet's camel zayd ibn lusayb who he who I, once again he was a hypocrite staying with um umada ibn hazim who was a righteous person when zayd ibn lusayb heard about that he began to joke he said how does the prophet get messages from the heavens but he doesn't know where his camel is. Now, he did not say this to the Prophet's face. He did not even say this to Umar ibn Hazm, whom he was staying with. Instead, he said it behind all of their back. He wasn't participating. Uh, he wasn't help to look, helping to look for the camel. He just heard the story, and he just smart aleck thing that came out of his mouth. Anyway, so as soon as he said it, while he was making this comment, the Prophet ﷺ received I don't want to say revelation because it wasn't necessarily Quran, but Allah informed him somehow that someone was saying the exact same thing. And it, the story doesn't say that the Prophet knew that Zayd ibn Lusayb was saying it. It just said that the Prophet was repeating that someone was saying, how is the Prophet uh, getting messages from the heavens, but he doesn't know where his camel is. And so the prophet, he then said that he only knows what Allah informs him of. He I guess he was talking to the people around him. One of the people around him at the time was Umar ibn Hazm, who was a righteous person whom uh, Zayd ibn Lusayb was staying with. In any case, just at that moment when the prophet made that statement that he only knows what Allah informs him of, Allah then revealed to the prophet where exactly the camel was, and it turns out that the camel had gotten his halter caught up in some tree branches, and they found it and brought the camel back to the prophet. Meanwhile, Umada ibn Hazm, who was a righteous companion, he went back to his camp where Zayd ibn Lusayb, who was the hypocrite, was staying, and he repeated the story of what he just experienced to the people in his camp. He said basically the same thing. He was helping the prophet look for his camel, and the prophet said that someone had mentioned how is it getting messages from the heavens, but can't find his own camel. And when Umar repeated this, someone said, you know, Zayd ibn Lusayb had said the same thing. And Umar knew that Zayd ibn Lusayb was a hypocrite. When Umar heard this, Umar went to Zayd ibn Lusayb and began beating him and chased him out of his camp and wouldn't let him stay with him any longer. So after that, some say that Zayd ibn Lusayb repented and changed, while others uh, say that he was a he was a hypocrite or suspected of hypocrisy for the rest of his life, and Allah knows best. 
Another interesting story from this journey was concerning Abu Dhar. We mentioned Abu Dhar during the Islamic History Podcast, a very popular companion. While the Muslims were traveling, several people began to lag behind for various reasons. And let's understand this wasn't one of those small contingents that the Prophet had in the early days of his um, time in Medina. So this presumably was a large army. And not only were there a lot of um, soldiers, there also soldiers were also bringing their wives and maybe their um, their some of their servants and any any man or any soldier who has a horse or a camel is probably going to have to have a groom and maybe a servant to take care of it. And so there, this is a large contingent of people. So it's natural that if they're traveling with something like, say, 10,000, 15,000 people or so, that, you know, people are going to lag behind. There'll be, there will be people well ahead of the prophet as well as many people well behind the prophet. This is just a, a large army train that even modern armies still have to deal with, but especially more so at this time where a lot of people are traveling by foot or by animal. In any case, many people were beginning to lag behind. Another thing about this, um, we have these large armies and people are traveling over great distances it's, a, it's an opportunity for certain people to wander away. So if you have such a large army and maybe there's a good two or three miles between the front of the army and the back of the army, maybe even longer than that, then there is an opportunity for certain people to say, you know, let's just rest here a couple of days and we'll catch up later on. Or to stop and say, you know, I have a cousin that lives in this village about 10 miles away. Let's go and visit them. We'll rendezvous with the prophet later on. Things like that. And so people began to lag behind. And the prophet got word of this. And when he was informed of this, he told his people not to worry about it because he said, if they're good, if there's good in them, then they'll catch up. Meaning that basically if somebody did want to go see their cousin, but they did intend to come back and, and take part in the battle, then they'll go see their cousin in the village 10 miles away. But once they finish with that, they'll come on and join the prophet. Whereas the prophet then said, if there is no good in them, then it's best that we're not, that they, they don't um, continue on with us anyway. So if these people went to go see their cousin and they had no intention of going back to, to uh, join the prophet in the battle, then the Muslims were better off without them in any way, in any case. So Abu Dhar was one of those who fell behind. Abu Dhar, however, didn't fall behind because he was lazy, or because he was tired, or because he wanted to take a few days rest, or because he wanted to see his cousin in some village 10 miles away. Abu Dhar fell behind because his camel was weak. It seems as if his camel was wearing down. Maybe it was an old camel. Maybe it was a sick camel. Maybe it was injured. But whatever the case may be, the camel just couldn't keep up with the rest of the army. So Abu Dhar, he eventually just dismounted, got off the candle, put his um, whatever he could carry on his back, and he started trying to catch up with the army on his own just by walking. He was evidently walking faster than the camel was. And so it took him, of course, several days to catch up with the army. As you mentioned, sometimes people can be um, several miles away from the main body of the army. And this was the case with Abu Dhar. So it took him a while as he was trying to catch up with the prophet. Uh, however, the prophet, وسلم, he heard that Abu Dhar was one of those who had fallen behind. And when he heard that about Abu Dhar, of course, the prophet was a little despondent, but he did say that the same thing about Abu Dhar. If there's good in Abu Dhar, then he'll catch up. If not, then it's best we're without him anyway. 
So one day the army is still traveling, but they have stopped to rest. And someone, obviously they have lookouts. Someone announced that there was a man approaching from the distance. If you can imagine a wide open desert and you got somebody operating as a lookout, stand, maybe standing on a cliff or high or maybe a large a rock or boulder or something. He's staring out and he sees this lone figure walking in from across the horizon far, far away, as far as the eye can see. He, he announces this to the prophet. And when the prophet hears this, he says that he wishes or he hopes that this is Abu Dhar. And lo and behold, that's exactly who it turned out to be. Abu Dhar had finally caught up with the rest of the army. And when the Prophet heard that it was Abu Dhar, he then said, May Allah have mercy on Abu Dhar. He walks alone, he will die alone, and he will be raised up alone. And so that brings us to a later story of Abu Dhar. Many years later, Abu Dhar had been exiled from Medina by Uthman, Caliph Uthman, during the Caliphate of Uthman ibn, ibn Affan. And we went into the story about why Abu Dhar was exiled, and the word exile makes it sound bad, but I really don't know what other word to use. But essentially, Uthman had strongly encouraged Abu Dhar to leave Medina and live outside the um the confines of Medina on his own in a more remote area where he wouldn't have so much conflict. In any case, Abu Dhar, he was an old man by now, he died while he was living in this desolate area. He died and uh, he was, yes, his wife was out there with him. His wife has pre- had prepared his body for burial, but Abu Dhar's wife couldn't actually bury him herself. She just didn't have the strength to dig a hole and put him inside the, um, the hole on her own. Presumably, she was probably just a little bit younger, maybe about the same age as Abu Dhar was. In any case, at that time, while Abu Dhar's body was waiting, well, let me back up a little bit. Abu Dhar's wife had placed his body basically, in, I won't say in the road, but basically out in the open where someone passing by could see him and hopefully help her with the burial. And as it turned out, the companion, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he happened to be coming through during this time, and he saw the body that was waiting to be buried. And so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he got down to help bury the body, and when he uncovered it, and he recognized Abu Dhar. He probably recognized Abu Dhar's wife anyway. In any case, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, once he saw that it was Abu Dhar, he had remembered the Prophet's words, and he started crying. He remembered the Prophet's words that said that, um, he's going to walk alone, he will die alone, or he will be raised up alone. If you want to know the entire story of Uthman and Abu Dhar, it is covered in episode 2-14. That is uh, season 2, episode 14. So continuing on with the journey towards Tabuk, we now come to a short story about a band of hypocrites who were, there's a group of hypocrites that were traveling with the army towards Tabuk. Now, this group of hypocrites, they were walking and talking and joking with each other. And one of, one of them, he expressed doubts of the um, doubts about the Muslims' ability to fight the Byzantines. And you can kind of just guess how a bunch of guys talking and, and just, you know, talking mess with each other. And then eventually one of them is going to say something like, man, do you really think we can beat the Romans. Do you think fighting the Romans is like fighting the Arabs? He's basically stating that the um, 
the Muslims so far have only had experience fighting the other Arabs, other you know small Arab tribes and um, a few Arab um, federations and stuff like that. But they hadn't really fought a strong professional army, empirical army of that, like the Romans. And so he's basically stating that. We're used to fighting these minor league guys, these Arab tribes. We're talking about fighting the Romans, the Byzantines. This is the big leagues, okay? <laughs> these are the big boys here. But anyway, um, another hypocrite who was traveling, who was listening to this guy shoot, uh, run his mouth, he said, um, this other person whose name was uh, Mahshi ibn Humayyir, he heard this first hypocrite make this statement. And then Mahshi ibn Humayyir, he said that he'd rather be lashed a hundred times than for Allah to reveal a verse about what he had just said. This kind of shows the strange relationship between the hypocrites and the prophet and the Muslim community and all the certain... It's a really strange thing and um, how... And even in some ways, even now, I don't want to get too deep and too far off the story, but these hypocrites, first of all, they didn't believe the prophet was telling the truth. Why did they join the military in the first place? Perhaps they were hoping for the uh, opportunity to win some uh, spoils of war, or maybe they were just shamed into it. I don't know. But this guy right here, these guys are thinking like, we don't even have a chance of winning. So if they don't think they even have a chance of winning, I wonder why they went in the first place. And then this other, other hypocrite, Mahshi ibn Humayyir, when he hears what this person says, he finds it very, um, he's afraid. He finds it very uh, upsetting what the man said, and he's afraid that there's going to be a verse revealed about that very same statement. And once again, I don't want to get too far off, but this reminds me of for in many occasions, I won't say it's 100%, but in most occasions where I know of people who have um, basically uh, left Islam, who who have uh, committed, I'm trying to think of the Arabic word, who become murtad, who basically le- have left Islam or converted away from Islam or whatever thing they do, they decide they don't want to be Muslim anymore. I'm not just talking about people who, you know, lapse in their practice of Islam. I'm talking about people who who come out and say that they are not Muslim, that they don't believe in Islam anymore. I find it strange that for the the vast majority of them, they almost always still abstain from pork. (laughs) It's a strange thing how they will um, reject pretty much everything else about Islam, but they don't eat pork. I notice that almost always, considerably, over and over and over again. Okay, back to the story. Anyway, so the prophet, he sees these hypocrites walking and talking together, and he sends one of the companions uh, named Ahmad ibn Yasir, very famous companion. We spoke about him and his relationship with Uthman as well. Anyway, he sent Ahmad ibn Yasir up ahead to try to find out what the hypocrites were talking about. I guess the prophet was suspicious about, about them. Anyway, Ahmad ibn Yasir, he goes to listen to them, and the hypocrites, they they see that Ammar ibn Yasir is basically eavesdropping on them, and now they get concerned he's going to go back and report it to the Prophet. And so they rush on back to try to the Prophet, try to make up excuses and try to cover up what they were just saying. And so the exact same thing that Mahshi ibn Humayyad was concerned about began to happen. Allah did reveal verses about the hypocrites and the things about which they were speaking. 
And one of the hypocrites, when they came to the Prophet ﷺ, tried to explain away what they're saying, they basically were saying, no, Prophet, we were just playing, we were just joking, you know, you know, guys get along, and so forth and so on. And that is when Allah SWT revealed verse, um, well, verse 65 and 66 from Surah Tawbah, it was revealed in response to that statement. We'll just do the English. The Quran, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what translates to, and if you ask them, they will surely say, we were only conversing and playing. Say, is it Allah and his verses and his messenger that you were mocking? Make no excuse. You have disbelieved after your belief. If we pardon one faction of you, we will punish another faction because they were criminals. So we hear this part of the Quran, of this verse where it says, if we pardon one faction of you, we'll punish another. People tend to believe that the person who was, or scholars tend to believe the person who was pardoned in this um, interaction was Mahshi ibn Humayyir, who had made that statement in the first place about being afraid of a verse being revealed about them. Mahshi, when he heard what the uh, the prophet's the prophet's speech uh, or the Quran basically the, uh, the revelation that was sent to the prophet when Makshi heard that he asked for forgiveness and then he began to tell the prophet about how his name was a source of dishonor for him because Makshi means afraid of and Humayyir means little donkey so Makshir ibn Humayyir his son if you take away the ibn part means afraid of a little donkey so is a dishonorable di- basically unflattering name. And so Mahshi tended to he changed his ways after that. He when he found out that he was he was the one who was forgiven, he changed his ways, he became a righteous person. And after this he was uh called Abdurrahman instead of Mahshi ibn Humayr. Anyway, so Mahshi he prayed to and asked Allah to uh, die as a martyr and with no trace left behind of him. And according to the story, he was killed during the Battle of Yamama, fighting under Khalid ibn Walid against Musaylam al-Kadhab or Musaylam the liar. And during this battle, Mahshi was killed and his body was never found. If you're interested in the Battle of Yamama, that is uh, episode 2-2, that is season 2, uh, episode 2. So now, finally, the Muslims, they arrive at Tabuk. And the rumors of a Byzantine invasion or impending invasion seem to have been just that. There are only rumors, um, whatever armies were being amassed there, things have been overly exaggerated. There were no Byzantine army or Roman army coming to march on Medina, at least none that the Prophet and the Muslims could find. So while they were in this region, the Prophet wasallam he began brokering treaties and agreements with several tribes in the region. He made an agreement with the governor of Ayla. They agreed to pay the Muslims the jizya. Ayla was is near the northern end of the Gulf of Aqaba. The Gulf of Aqaba is a narrow strip of water that, water that separates the Sinai Peninsula from the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, there are some maps on the website. I have a URL for you in just a moment. You can go see these things. Then the Prophet also made an agreement with the people of Udru. They also agreed to pay the jizya. Most of these uh, groups were almost certainly Christian Arabs. Um, just judging by the names, I believe a lot of them were Christian Arabs. In any case, um, Udru was about 60 miles north of Ayla, which was towards the northern end of the Gulf of Aqaba. 
And uh, Odru is in modern day Jordan. And uh, this was later to be the site where Ali ibn Abi Talib and Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, where they held their arbitration meeting after the Battle of Safin. Another group that agreed to pay the jizya were the people of Jarba, and that was about a mile north of Odru. And finally, the Prophet sent Khalid ibn Walid with a detachment into uh, Duma, which was lo- located in the Wadi Surahan region. This region, Wadi Surahan, is near the border where, Jord- where the nation of Jordan and the nation of Saudi Arabia meet, that region right there. That's known as Wadi Surahan. Anyway, Khalid ibn Wali, his forces, he attacked, they attacked and captured uh, one of the Christian chiefs of this region, and that chief also agree, agreed to pay the jizya as well. And so, with uh, no battle there, no battle to happen, no Romans to fight, the Muslims just um, stayed in Tabuk for about 10 days, broken agreements and establishing alliances. And finally, the Prophet ﷺ decided to return to Medina. That was after about 10 days or so. So on the way back to Medina, the Muslims passed through a valley called Mushakkak, and Mushakkak means cracked, and this was about 100 miles northwest of Medina, close to this, a city in Saudi Arabia called Al-Ais. And anyway, the, um, in this region, there was seemed to have been like a, maybe a boulder or a rock that had a little bit of water dribbling through it, or crack, not a whole lot, not enough to feed an entire army, but enough to feed a few, to maybe um, quench the thirst of about three or four men. So you have this water coming out of this rock, and so the Prophet ordered the Muslims not to drink from the water coming out of this rock until he arrived, but several of the hypocrites, they disobeyed him and drank anyway. When the Prophet found out, he was a little upset, and he uh, cursed them. When I say curse him, he did a, not a curse like we do in English. I think you know what I mean. He basically invoked something bad against them. In any case, the prophet, he then took some water, some of this water that was dribbling out of this rock. He took some of it in his hand. He rubbed the rock with it. And then he announced that this valley would become more fertile than any other in the area. Now, I had to go and look and see where this was. It took a little, a little bit of searching. But I believe I found, well, it's easy to find Al-Ais. It's a, it's a city in Saudi Arabia. Finding the actual mountain is a little bit harder, but I think I did find the mountain, or I say not the mountain, this valley called Mushakkak. I believe I, I found it. But in any case, like I said, it's about 100 miles northwest of Medina. And in that region, not too far from where Al-Ais is, the city called Al-Ais, there is a large green area. I mean, I'm not kidding here. I'll I put I've I went on on Google Maps. Not Google Maps. I'll Google Earth. I took screenshots of it. It's on. It's going to be on the website. Go and check it out. Check out IslamicHistoryPodcast.com slash Cedar thirty nine. Cedar is S E E R A H three nine. Cedar for the Prophet's history, and then thirty nine for the chapter. IslamicHistoryPodcast.com slash Cedar thirty nine. I take I've taken screenshots of this region. Go and take a look at it and see what I mean. But make up your own mind if this is actually the prediction that the Prophet had mentioned. Allah knows best. So now the Prophet and the Muslims, they return to Medina, or they're in the region of Medina, and the Prophet stops in an area called Lu'awan, where 
there is maybe about a day's ride from Medina now, and someone comes to tell him about the Masjid of Dis- well, Masjid al-Darar, known as the Mosque of Descent. And we spoke about that earlier on, how they had, how the, this had been built by some hypocrites. So the Prophet, uh, the Banu Ghanam, who had built the mosque and who there were a lot of hypocrites within within their um, within this clan, they had asked the Prophet to come and pray in it. At the time that the Prophet was invited to pray inside the masjid, he could not. He was just busy with the preparations for this journey to Tabuk, and so he said that he would pray in it after the battle and after he returned. So now that he had returned, the Prophet, instead, he sent two companions to go and burn that mosque down. The Prophet said that those people who had built it, they were unjust, and the people who built it, Allah has act, had actually uh, revealed some verses about them. Uh, the verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 107, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And those who have taken a mosque for mischief and disbelief, as well as disunion among the faithful, and as an outpost for those who already fought God and his messenger will swear, we desired nothing but good. God witnesses what sort of liars they are. In any case, uh, the Prophet had a lot of um, reasons to be suspect of this masjid. As we mentioned, many of the people who built it, they had been hypocrites. Also, after they had built it, they invited a man named Abu Amir to pray in it. Abu Amir was a Christian Arab living in Medina, and he had long been suspected of spying for the Quraysh before the Quraysh converted, and he was also now suspected of spying for the Byzantines. So, there were a lot of reasons for the Prophet not to want to be affiliated with this masjid and not to let basically a fifth column sit around right there in the middle of, of Medina. So now the Prophet is back in Medina, back in the capital, and uh, now he's realized that how many hypocrites had actually stayed behind. And he also realizes that there were a few devout Muslims who had also stayed behind. They had stayed behind due to procrastination. The Prophet was a little upset with them for staying behind when he knew that they were sincere, but they had stayed behind simply because of their own uh, lack of effort. Now, for those Muslims who stayed behind, they were Ka'ab ibn Malik, Murada ibn, ibn Rabi, Abu Khuthayma, and Halal ibn Umayyah. They were all believers, but they had been left behind. Abu Khuthayma, he was the only one who actually wound up joining the expedition. A few days after the army had left Medina, he was coming home and he saw his two wives preparing his food. He saw them making a place for him to rest. And he began feeling guilty. He was feeling guilty that he was about to sit down and have a, a good meal and and live in luxury while the prophet was traveling through hot desert about to fight an enemy. And so Abu Khuthayma, he, he just said he couldn't do that. He had his wives prepare his camel. They got some provisions for him, and he immediately left to join the army. And he did eventually catch up with the prophet when the army had finally camped at Tabuk. So Abu Khuthayma, though he was left behind, he wound up joining them. Now, regarding the hypocrites who, who were left behind, who stayed behind, I think were left, they stayed behind. Regarding the hypocrites who stayed behind, all of them had a bunch of excuses. And one by one, they came to the prophet, giving him their excuses about why they couldn't join him. And for each and every single one of them, prophet, he accepted their excuse. And he prayed for Allah to forgive them, and he pardoned them and left them alone. However, 
for the sincere Muslims, for them, those those who were left behind, the sincere Muslims, the Prophet had, I won't say punished them, but he did forbid, forbade everyone from speaking with them until, until Allah revealed something regarding them. And it kind of shows the responsibility for sincere believers that for the weak ones, for the hypocrites, the prophet had no problem just accepting their, their excuses and pardoning them as well for forgiveness and them on the way. But for those who know better, those who have belief, much more was expected of them. I think th- I think there's a deeper message in there somewhere. If we really look into it, I think there's a deeper message. Any case, so we will discuss the uh, punishment or this episode regarding Kaab ibn Malik and these other Muslims who were left behind. We're going to discuss it in the next episode. We're also going to go over some of the other tribes and groups that accepted Islam after Tabuk. And... Uh, yeah, that'll be in the next episode, inshallah. That'll be episode 40. But for now, I once again encourage you, go check out some of the maps that we have on uh, the website. Go to islamichistorypodcast.com slash sira39. And with that, until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.